online at hello at Tumby. Um, I know there's a, a bunch of families here who are visiting with us from our school community, so welcome to you this morning as well. Good Friday, um, Easter weekend. There, there's like two parts to this, uh, the Friday and the Sunday. So we're, we're going to have... Um, we're just going to have this feel over today and on Sunday that what we're speaking about, what we're saying just goes together really beautifully. So can I encourage you already to be thinking about joining us on Sunday um, so all of this makes sense. So the theme that I've got for today is, is mission completed. Now Jesus came on a mission into the world, God in human flesh. God in human form came into the world to reveal the true character and nature of God and to set right something that had broken. And God's mission through Jesus is to restore all of creation back into a good, perfect, right relationship with God himself. Mission completed. It's up. It's through. It's at an end. That's that. It's all done. Finito, it's a closed book, it's in the can, we're home free, that's a wrap. All over, bar the shouting, mission completed. There's some things we just understand about when things are completed, when things have come to an end, where things have actually been achieved in just the way you desired it to be done. And so the idea of mission, I think, as a human is something that uh, is inspiring, it's something that we, we look to. You know, and we're, you know, some of you are old enough to remember this as I'm looking around the room. I'm not. But there was a mission. There was many missions to the moon. But in 1969, when man finally got to the moon, that was worldwide news. So significant that mankind had conquered this barrier, this frontier. Um, if we go back even further in history, there was mission to discover new lands in the world and to see what else was out there beyond what we already know. And as I was thinking about the idea of mission, I reckon mission matters most when lives are on the line. So we think some of our Hollywood blockbusters, those things where the world's going to end by some asteroid hitting the world or something, and there's this mission, and when people save the day, the whole world celebrates. And that's from a fictional thing. Talking about other fiction stories, something came to mind for me straight away. You might recognise this guy, if I put it up on the screen. Now, I didn't know much about this guy until 20, it was 20 years ago this year that the first uh, Peter Jackson movie of Lord of the Rings came out, The Fellowship of the Ring. And prior to that, I didn't know much about Lord of the Rings or who Frodo Baggins was. And um, so I thought I'm going to read the book before the movie comes out because the book is always better than the movie, kids. Remember that? Read the book because it's better than the movie. Um, and so Frodo was on this mission to... He had this, this ring that had to be destroyed. You can see it in one of the photos there. And he had this treacherous journey that he had to encounter dangers things like volcanoes and orcs and wraiths and all these fantastical things. And as he's going through this journey, his character is revealed. But his real challenge was to bear the ring 
this ring of power without being corrupted by it. That was his real challenge. And the difficulties that he kept coming across just made it harder and harder. And it wasn't until we get to nearly the end of the third movie, we're talking uh, probably eight and a half hours of watching at this stage, that, that we see sort of the mission completed and the lives of the people are liberated and the world is saved. But that's a fictional story. It's a fictional story. God's story, the story we see in the Bible, the story that, and the narrative that we see right through Scripture is a true story. It's God's story and it's our story. He invites us into that. And so we are part of a mission like you would not believe. We've been invited into God's mission with him. And as I said, God's mission is to restore all of creation, every part of creation, back into perfect relationship with himself. Now, God had always existed in in a beautiful relationship, Father, Son, Spirit. The word we use for that is Trinity, Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept of of God being one but in three distinct persons is really hard to get your head around. But there's this beautiful relationship with Father, Son, Spirit that had always existed. And then for some reason, they decided to create everything that we can see and know. And we as humans were made as the pinnacle of that creation, His most precious no pun in spot. He's most precious. And as you may know, humans rejected God's plan and God's way. And there's a word that the Bible uses to describe that, that breaking of relationship. It's sin. And so when sin entered the world, relationship was broken. There was separation between God and human beings. And that's the problem. That's the mission that Jesus has to fix that problem. And so God set about doing that. And as we read the Bible, you might be familiar with the Bible being in two sections, what we call the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament, basically everything in there is leading up towards who is going to be the person who's going to complete this mission and solve this problem, fix this thing that's broken. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in a few of the events that got us to that point. So God himself entered into his creation to fix the problem. Jesus is God in human form. And when the Apostle Paul talks about this, this is one of the things he says. Check this out. He says, when the time came, he, this is Jesus, set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human and it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges, instead he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Jesus died on a cross, a crucifixion. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, talk about this in detail. They all give record of what happened. And we might be familiar with some images around this. And so some images like this. Jesus on a cross, crucified. Nailed. Put up for all to see. 
But the problem with these images are they are not realistic. This is not what it would have looked like. Because crucifixion, and we'll touch on this shortly, was such a brutal, humiliating thing that the Romans did to people they wanted to punish that that is not what it would have looked like. But in our sensitivities of you know, art and decency and all that, we, we don't see images of what it actually would have looked like, what Jesus actually went through on our behalf. So Jesus, God in human form, he lived this quiet life in the Middle East for about 30 years and then he sort of became public and did this ministry work throughout the area we know as Israel today. He did nothing but good for people. And that threatened the people who were in power. That threatened the religious leaders of the time. That threatened those who were in power. They then conspired with the Roman Empire. They had him killed, executed, like we see on a cross. And then there comes a point in any story, in any narrative, where it seems like the mission has failed. Because Jesus, if he was the one from God, if he was the Messiah... If he was the Christ, then he was supposed to take over and take power and fix everything. And it seems like that did not happen. And so Jesus' followers saw this moment as a failure. We thought we were hanging out with the guy who was going to change the world. But now look, he seems defeated. So I want to read a little passage out of John's Gospel. So this is while Jesus was on the cross. These are some of the last words he said. And so it says, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And so to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it and they put it on a branch and they held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he declared, it is finished. And there he, then he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. That's from John's account. In Matthew's account... In Matthew's Gospel, he says of the same thing. Jesus had cried out in a loud voice and then he gave up his spirit. See, we need to understand how crucifixion actually works. It was not only humiliating because you would have been completely naked. Prior to that, you were beaten and whipped to the point where, and I'm sorry for this, but you, to the point where you probably would have looked like mincemeat. You were totally torn up. And then you were nailed to this rough wooden beam. And you can see from the images we had back here that you're hanging by your arms, so all your weight's hanging off your arms, but then there's a little thing you can stand on with your feet, so you sort of push yourself up so you can breathe, but then because of those big spikes through your ankles, that hurts, and so you take the pressure off that, and then the pressure's back on your arms again, 
But then you push you up with your legs so you can breathe again, but that hurts, so you then slump down again. And you're doing this sometimes for days and days. That's how it was designed to work. And what a person dies from on a cross is asphyxiation. You, you, you can no longer breathe. It's a slow, painful, humiliating, torturous thing to do to someone. And then it's completely public. And so they would have signs above the people who were on crosses saying, this is why they've been crucified. This is what they've done wrong. So be warned, don't you do this or this will be your fate as well. And so there's this constant pushing up to breathe that hurts, so you slump down, but then you can't breathe, so you push up to breathe again. And, and some records have said that there have been people on a cross in the Roman time um, that took up to seven days before they passed away in that sort of agony. It's a horrendous thing. But Jesus did not die from the crucifixion. If you just heard what we just read there, Jesus willingly gave up his life. He gave it up. He had control over it. And when we look back at John's Gospel, listen to what Jesus said a little bit earlier to his disciples. This is in John chapter 10. Jesus talking, he says, the Father loves me because I sacrifice my life that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father had commanded. So here's Jesus, crucified on a cross, about six hours into it, he decides to give up his spirit. And what we see when we read the story is when the soldiers came along a bit later, they were surprised he was already dead. Because crucifixions take a lot longer than that to actually finish you off. And so one thing they do to make sure that you die a bit quicker, they will come along and they will break your legs with a big hammer. And so when your legs are shattered, you can't push up to breathe any longer. And so it happens a bit quicker and, and the death comes. But that didn't happen to Jesus. He gave up his life. He was in control of that. And so when we read Mark's version of this, we see, with a loud cry, which is really hard to do when you're struggling to breathe, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And when he breathed his last, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion... The Roman soldier who stood in front of Jesus saw how he died. He said, surely this man was the Son of God. And there's a fair bit to talk about with that, but this curtain, estimations are that this curtain was 20 metres high, 10 metres wide and about 6 inches thick. And the curtain that we're talking about stopped anybody moving into the place in the temple where God's presence was. So there was this barrier. You could not get into God's presence because the thing that stopped you, the thing that had separated you from God was this thing called sin. 
And so here's a physical representation that you could not enter into God's presence while sin was in your life. Sin had to be sorted out, had to be fixed up, it had to be dealt with. And so they used for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people, this system of sacrifice. There would be an animal sacrifice, the blood, because blood is what life is in, life is in the blood. The blood would then be sprinkled on this curtain and beyond that to to say life has been given so life can be given back. And there was this system of sacrifice. And so all the symbolism of this is Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, the one forever, for all people, for all times. And then the symbol of this, that God himself, it seems, tore this curtain to say, there is now access back to me again because of what Jesus has done. It's a beautiful picture. So when Jesus called out, it is finished, it was not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. When he, gave up on, when he gave up his life on that cross, he left no unfinished business behind. He, when he said, it is finished, he was speaking the truth. His mission to provide a way back to God for all people was completed. The curtain was torn, access to God is now open to everyone. And the thing that had been keeping us apart from God's sin has now been dealt with. So what do Jesus' last words mean for us? It is finished. They mean that the way is cleared for each of us to have complete access to God because God's there with his arms open saying, please come to me. His words mean that we don't have to live under the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation. His words mean that there is forgiveness completely through Jesus. His words mean that we have a purpose and a hope and an eternal life with him, through him. His words mean that we are loved, you are loved more deeply by God than you could ever hope or imagine. His words mean that God is for you. He likes you. He loves you. He was willing to do whatever it took for you so you could be back in relationship with him. It is finished does not mean something has ended. It means something's been completed. And so God's mission, as I said right at the beginning, was to restore all of creation back to himself. And he starts with bringing us, human beings, back into relationship with him so we can become the type of people who will help bring the rest of creation back into right relationship with God. And that's what we're going to talk about on Sunday. It's nearly like a sequel. The first part of the mission is completed and it sets us up for the next thing that needs to happen. And that's what we celebrate on Sunday at Easter. And so as Kev shared earlier, I want to share this passage to close out of 2 Corinthians. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul again, writing to a church. And this is what it says in the message paraphrase. It says, our firm decision is to work from this centre, this focus centre. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. 
he included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life, a resurrection life, a life far better than people ever lived on their own. And we're going to celebrate that on Sunday. Can I invite you, if you're here in the room now, to be with us on Sunday? Can I invite you at Tumby to be there on Sunday? If you're online at the moment, tune in again on Sunday, because we're going to continue this story where the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done and the life that that brings to each of us, we're going to unpack that and it's a story that just gets better and better and better. Let me pray for us today. So Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are a God who sees us, who loves us, And you have already done everything that was necessary to bridge that gap that existed, that sin separation. You have fixed that. You have completed that. And you say to us, come to me. You are welcome. You are loved. So I pray that today as we remember your sacrifice on the cross on Good Friday, we would see it for what it is. It's an act of love. It's a beautiful invitation. It's the way to true life. And I ask that each of us can with with a fresh revelation of who you are and what you've done, step into that invitation and that life with you in a new and fresh way today. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we want to celebrate that together today. Amen.